Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Jimmy's Extraordinary 80s Playlist. I'm your host and creator, Jimmy, and each week I make a mixtape combining my love of 80s music with memories of growing up in a San Francisco Bay Area record shop. The 1980s will forever hold a special place in my heart, and I'm excited to share the memories and the music with those who experienced life during the decade, as well as anyone curious to learn what it was like to be there, but weren't. So whether you're a returning or a first-time listener, I invite you to relax and reminisce as I create a themed musical playlist comprised of songs from the greatest decade to live in and live through, the 1980s. Last week, I shared my own subjective perspective on songs from artists who sought solo success after finding fame in an established band or group in my fifth episode titled Independence Day. That episode, along with others, are currently available to download and listen to on a variety of platforms, including Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, with new episodes available every Wednesday. You can also reach out to me by email at jeep music podcast at gmail.com. My father used to say that practice makes progress, and I want to acknowledge the generous support and positive encouragement I continue to receive from listeners. I'd like to also give a humble and heartfelt thank you for your support in the progression of this podcast. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please take a moment to hit follow, subscribe, and like. I'd also greatly appreciate any five-star ratings and or reviews, and please tell your friends, family, and anyone in between about Jimmy's Extraordinary 80s Playlist. Again, thank you for listening, sharing, and supporting as I make mixtapes, talk about 80s music, and the memories associated with them for everyone to enjoy. When I was a kid, I just always assumed that an artist that had a song on the radio that I hadn't heard before must have been brand new to the music scene. Some of these naive misconceptions of mine included musicians such as Steve Winwood or Tina Turner, who had both been established and successful well before I was even born. For whatever the reason, though, it didn't always occur to me that these artists getting radio airplay or appearing on the covers of music magazines like Spin or Rolling Stone could have already achieved a level of fame and recognition prior to the 1980s. Sure, there were artists that I was familiar with who had started their careers decades earlier. Groups like Queen and the Rolling Stones, uh, artists like Rod Stewart or Aretha Franklin. But there were also plenty of musicians that I was genuinely unfamiliar with. Uh, Bands like The Kinks or solo artists like Roy Orbison. So when songs like Come Dancing or You Got It gained popularity during the 1980s, and having had no experience with their earlier works previously, I legitimately thought that these were new acts. I remember in 1983, when the song Owner of a Lonely Heart by the progressive rock group Yes was in heavy rotation on the radio, and the video was constantly being shown on MTV, I'd asked my father one day in the shop if we had the album 90125, by this new group called Yes. Well, after he picked his jaw up off the ground, he walked me with him over to the album rack, skimmed through the plastic dividing tabs with his fingers tabbing through the letter Y section. He went past groups like the Yardbirds and Yazoo until he reached the artist that he wanted and he picked up the album. Here you go, he said, handing the album to me as I immediately grabbed it from him and I flipped it over to check to see that the song that I wanted was on it. It was. Oh, and by the way, he continued while he motioned down at the series of other albums that were behind the plastic divider marked with the band's name. These are also records by Yes. Not bad for a new group, huh? This type of exchange between us would happen many, 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 many more times throughout the decade, where I can remember taking the headphones off of my Sony Walkman and putting them up to my dad's exclaiming, you've got to hear this amazing new song. My father, in true fashion, would put the headphones on, listen for a few moments, then smile and nod his head along, because in almost no time he'd picked up the identity of the singer or the familiarity of the song itself, and he would say, oh yes, I know them, that's heart. 
or I remember that song. It was popular when I was a kid. It's Crimson and Clover by Tommy James and the Shondells. It was always to my surprise. No, no, it isn't. It's by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, I would say back. He would then walk over, go to his extensive record collection, and always manage to find the record that I was talking about, and he'd play it for me. I'd stand there completely mesmerized and mind-blown at hearing the original version. I remember one time watching MTV. I was laying on the floor in front of our 19-inch Magnavox console TV, and the music video for Caribbean Queen or Caribbean Queen by Billy Ocean was playing, and my dad walked into the room and said, I'm glad he's still making music. His voice always sounded so great in the 1970s. Wait, what? Still? The 70s? Our theme this week is what's under the covers. Throughout my life, I've heard the phrase, everything old is new again, typically used when referencing a current trend that's become popularized by newer generations as they discover something that generations prior to theirs had experienced earlier. The impact of this phrase has been attributed countless times when it comes to hairstyles, popular fashion, and ways to keep fit or just look one's best. After all, isn't Zumba really just jazzercise, which itself was really just calisthenics before it? This can also apply to film and television shows, usually built around a specific idea, such as movies that have a fish-out-of-water dynamic, or unlikely characters that become best friends after they face a challenging foe or a situation, or in TV, where there is police and medical procedurals, and comedies with the basic premise of a workplace environment or just the everyday workings within a fictional family. In my opinion, though, no more of a significant impact has been made than in the realm of music, with the continual and constant process of artists remaking, retooling, and reimagining records from previous decades. These range from lesser-known songs to well-known favorites to songs that many consider diehard classics. The 1980s were a time of uniquely groundbreaking and innovative contributions to the world of pop culture with so many remarkable television shows, movies, music, toys, and trends. It's interesting to note, though, that during this period of such original and creative development, there was also a resurgence that was seen with musicians and songs from the swinging 60s making an impact on the radio, placing on the charts, and also having videos shown on MTV. This introduced members of Generation X, like myself, to the music that my parents and those from the baby boom generation listened to and loved when they were growing up. Our playlist includes songs recorded and released by artists during the 1980s that were originally recorded and released by another artist during the 1960s. So whether it was at Live Aid or Woodstock, during the second British invasion or the Beatles' original invasion, aspiring with yuppies or hanging with hippies, or crushing on Rick or Dusty Springfield, the 80s offered something for everyone celebrating what was once old, but had become new again. I've unwrapped another 60-minute blank Maxell audio cassette tape and placed it into the left side of the dual cassette tape player of my stereo system. I've pressed down the pause, play, and record buttons, and I'm ready to make another memorable mixtape filled with extraordinary 80s music. Out of respect for the copyright and creative process by the artists involved in all songs mentioned in the podcast, no music clips will be included. Instead, I'll use my commentary about the songs and encourage the listener to support music sites by authentically acquiring access to them. I'll start site A of the mixtape and have the first track ready. So I'll unpause the cassette player and begin our playlist with the first song. Track one was originally recorded by soul singer Lou Johnson and released in 1964, peaking at number 49 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. During the 80s, a version was released in January of 1983 and peaked at number eight on the same chart. The artists are Naked Eyes, and the song is always something there to remind me. For a decade that has become synonymous with making musical superstars out of Madonna, Prince, and Michael Jackson, launching rap and hip-hop music and artists into the mainstream consciousness, and hair metal bands putting on a power ballad, 
It was the early 1980s music scene that offered quite a distinct and different sound and style available to listeners. While there were popular and successful artists like Billy Joel, Elton John, and Styx adapting to the decade with their songs and sounds, there was also a mix of emerging styles and subgenres within popular music, ranging from country and western pop rock crossovers to soft rock sounds, and a hodgepodge of random artists and songs carried over from the heydays of disco and classic rock from the 70s, all competing on the radio and the charts. With the inception of MTV in 1981, the music video format suddenly became a way for musicians to be showcased performing their songs in order to appeal visually to a viewer in addition to just using their sound. Needless to say, several artists were not impressed and as a result refused to change their look or their sound to suit the burgeoning music channel. As the channel gained momentum in its first few years, it began decreasing, or in some cases removing videos by artists like Lee Rittenauer, 38 Special, and Christopher Cross that it had relied on in its earlier days, and began replacing them with a mix of artists and bands from the United Kingdom seeking success in the United States. This was a time where, largely due to MTV's pioneering exposure, a wide variety of new singers, bands, and artists began to emerge on the music scene and gain popularity outside of their home countries in the UK. This period became known as the Second British Invasion, with the First British Invasion being a huge phenomenon during the middle of the 1960s when musicians and artists from the United Kingdom gained popularity within the United States. This included artists like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Herman's Hermits, the Hollies, Tom Jones, Dusty Springfield, Donovan, and many, many others. The second British invasion brought sounds and synth, including new wave styles at such a fevered and frenzied pace, which dominated the airwaves, music charts, and factored heavily into regular airplay on MTV. This included artists like Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, The Human League, Thompson Twins, Culture Club, Spandau Ballet, Eurythmics, Howard Jones, Tears for Fears, and so many, 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 many others whose music videos transported all of us to different geographic locations all throughout the world and showcased a little bit of life through a much different lens with visuals that most Americans, including myself, had only experienced in films or on the television or read about in books. These artists identified um, within the second British invasion continued to dominate the music scene for several years after helping MTV find its footing until tastes and time shifted and metal, rap, rock, and pop all began to fight for prominence amongst the music styles available. Suddenly, the success that numerous artists had seen during the second invasion was waning by the midpoint of the decade, either due to the public's lack of interest in the creative direction that the artists were moving in, or the influx of a variety of emerging American artists like Madonna, Cyndi Lauper, Michael Jackson, and Bruce Springsteen, among many others. These artists were now also competing for airplay and attention. Many artists attempted to adapt, but they were just unable to sustain their success that they had seen in the earlier 80s, and some groups and artists called it quits, and others returned to the UK, and they found that they could continue to flourish in their careers overseas. One such casualty was the group Naked Eyes. Actually, they were a duo. Um, they were a new wave duo that saw early success after forming in the early part of the 1980s, and they peaked in 1982, but just as quickly as they had peaked, they began to wane in popularity shortly thereafter and called it quits in 1984. I remember hearing the song Always Something There to Remind Me on the radio because of its bombastic and just energetic synth and drums intro and the pulsing synth beats throughout the song. It just, it had this urgency to the music. It just made it seem so commanding. And even just the instrumental portions of the song were just entertaining alone. But they they perfectly complemented the lovelorn longing that you hear in singer Peter Byrne's voice as he sings the lyrics. I walk along the city streets you used to walk along with me. And every step I take reminds me of just how we used to be. Oh, how can I forget you, girl, 
when there is always something there to remind me. This is a different take from the original Lou Johnson recording uh, with its horn intro and the accompaniment of the unmistakable sound from Burt Bacharach and Hal David's arrangement. Um, Lou Johnson's vocals are equally impressive though as this arrangement as he rings out every lyric of a heartbroken man during the verses. And there's an energetic, uh, just uplifting backing vocal on the chorus that really just sends the emotion very far. It just really, it tells of just how well-written the song is and that the emotion behind it is what makes it so hauntingly relatable, especially to anyone who's made memories and been to places and had those familiar experiences with someone that they've loved and then lost and then longed for, hoping that one day they would return. As always something there to remind me by Naked Eyes Fades Out, I'll press pause on the cassette player and prepare the next song. Track two was originally recorded by Motown girl group sensations The Supremes and released in October of 1966, peaking at number one for one week on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. During the 80s, a version was released in September of 1986 and also peaked at number one for one week on the same chart. The artist is Kim Wilde, and the song is You Keep Me Hanging On. The Supremes really set the bar high with their style and attention to detail, not only in their physical appearances with lavish gowns and meticulously coiffed hair, but in their performances and how they moved, no wait, how they glided across the stage with just such precision and timing like no other group of their era. This discipline transcended into their music with so many of their hit songs like I Hear a Symphony or Stop in the Name of Love, having grand and emotive lyrics that reflected the ups and downs of romantic relationships, all set to a well-timed and well-placed beat that you could snap your fingers along to. The song You Keep Me Hanging On immediately catches my attention right at the beginning with its exceptional guitar riff, stuttering and stringing out a Morse code-like signal before the drums kick in and Diana Ross opens with the chorus of, set me free, why don't you baby? Get out my life, why don't you baby? Cause you don't really love me, you just keep me hanging on. This is a woman who knows. She is well aware that the man she's involved with is reluctant and resistant to end their relationship, be it as a romantic coupling or as a couple of friends. Diana Ross sings every lyric with an urgency and a conviction that conveys to the other person in the song that she knows where she stands with him and she isn't willing to stand for it anymore. Lyrics like, why do you keep coming around playing with my heart? Why don't you get out of my life and let me make a new start? Let me get over you the way you've gotten over me. This song is filled with just such delicious declarations, such as those when she confronts the reality of her position and belts out the lyric, and there ain't nothing I can do about it. But my favorite part in the song, which is full of favorite parts, is when she's spelled out her intentions to the other person and triumphantly sings the lyrics, go on, get out, get out of my life and let me sleep at night because you don't really love me. You just keep me hanging on. At the start of the song, this is a woman who's focused and follows her convictions about the other person and what he's doing to her. And she isn't backing down. And by the end of the song, her voice has risen to reflect the satisfaction in knowing that she's put it all out there and she doesn't regret a single word. It's uh, a pre-I will survive, if you will. And two decades later, uh, post-I will survive, English singer Kim Wilde took on the song and its themes of relationship restraint. Uh, Kim Wilde was part of the second British invasion of the early 80s and helped usher in the new wave music genre. 
She'd had success with a variety of her songs, including Kids in America, Water on Glass, and Cambodia, prior to covering You Keep Me Hanging On. Uh, There's a noticeable difference between her musical production of the song and the original uh, in that hers is altered to reflect uh, more of a dance-oriented, almost high-energy sound. Uh, It has a pulsating keyboard, heavy synth strings, uh, pumping bass guitar, percussion, and there's these guitar shreds and like scratchy sounds um, that are produced throughout the song. Um, but the music effectively balances her breathy vocal delivery uh, in the verses. Um, it's low and um, supporting her as she's singing, um, but it's still emphatic. And then it begins to swell and the full synth, the guitar, the percussion, and the beats come in at the chorus with her uh, as she sings the defiant conviction of a woman who's released the frustration from within and has absolutely no interest in letting it back into her life. Go on, get out, get out of her life and let her sleep at night because you don't really love her. You just keep her hanging on. As You Keep Me Hanging On by Kim Wilde fades out, I'll press pause on the cassette player and prepare the next song. Track three was originally recorded by pop rock group Tommy James and the Shondells and released in January of 1967, peaking at number four on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. During the 80s, a version was released in August of 1987 and peaked at number one for two weeks on the same chart. The artist is Tiffany, and the song is I Think We're Alone Now. If you want to get an effective idea of what shopping malls or mall culture during its heyday in the 1980s looked like, then you should watch the opening credits of the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, I'm partial, yes, because it uses the Go-Go song We Got the Beat, which plays over scenes of teenagers interacting with one another, as well as shots of popular stores at the time in the mall. It also gives a realistic portrayal of what it was like to actually hang out at the local mall with your friends after school or on the weekends and connect with others uh, just way before cell phones, computers, and the internet seemed to disconnect or distract us from one another. The mall was where you could get lost in the arcade for hours, or at least until the tokens ran out, by playing video games like Dig Dug, Donkey Kong, or Asteroids. It was where you saw your crush from school and tried to stand out and seem interesting even though you were holding a bag from Sears or Seize Candies while they walked by. It was riding the escalator up to the second or third level to go to stores like Chess King or Merry-Go-Round and then riding the glass elevator in the center of the mall back down to hit the food court. It was never having enough money to really buy what you wanted, but somehow having just enough to buy a slice of greasy pepperoni pizza and an orange Julius and still be content. For so many 80s kids, the mall was the mecca, and we knew how good we had it. Tiffany was an artist who made a name for herself by touring a variety of shopping malls throughout the United States to promote her debut album and her music. This turned out to be a huge success as her cover of Tommy James and the Shondell song, I Think We're Alone Now, received enormous radio airplay and raced up the charts. It went right to the top at number one. It wasn't bad for a 15-year-old. I remember when I was 15-year-old, I was working in a movie theater, saving my paychecks to try and buy a car. I was wearing an itchy black vest and bow tie, scooping popcorn for customers and directing patrons to which theater was showing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade or which theater had Dead Poet Society in it. You can bet I would have switched places with Tiffany and sang and danced at the local mall uh, with the consumers crowded into a courtyard watching me in front of stores like Walden Books, Cutlery World, or JCPenney's if I could have seen the same type of success that Tiffany had. I remember I loved this song when it came out. Um, It was just so carefree and it just bounced along uh, very easily. It was very breezy. It's led by the guitar and the percussion. Um, I also enjoy the parts uh, within Tiffany's voice where she sings with um, 
a, a slight rasp. It's it really comes out and is really pronounced during the lyric, uh, trying to get away into the night. When she just emphasizes the word night, it just it's like the word night has six eyes in it. Uh, it's trying to get away into the night, kind of like that. <laughs> um, it's just always. Um, it's such a good part. I really love that part of the song when she does that. She's, she has fantastic vocals um, again for being 15 and, and singing that I'm currently not 15 and trying to sing. It is really a stretch for me, but whether it's Tommy James or Tiffany singing, the song can be interpreted as being about two teenagers just wanting to spend time alone together without judgments or watchful eyes from adults. And whether that means just, you know, hand holding or, innocent kisses or cuddling or something a little more intimate as the lyrics um, allude to with, and then you put your arms around me and we tumble to the ground suggests um, it's up to the listener's perception. Her debut album hit number one, and it was filled with great production and songs about love, heartbreak, and the lessons in between all sang with just this wisdom that was far beyond her teenage years and her perspective, despite demonstrating growth vocally on her second album and including more mature material, it just wasn't enough to sustain her career longer than the few years that she was popular on the charts and her videos were played on the music channels. Um, and she kind of uh, faded out toward the end of the decade. Um, I still have a fondness for Tiffany and I smile at the music video of her singing her heart out to a crowded mall as the audience applauds and supports her as she sings. There's just something organic and heartfelt in witnessing her achieving her dreams. It's like developing film from a camera that you thought had been lost decades ago. And it just lets a wave of nostalgia wash over you once you see the pictures and they reflect really just how fast time can go by. As I Think We're Alone Now by Tiffany fades out, I'll press pause on the cassette player and prepare the next song. Track four was coincidentally also originally recorded by pop rock group Tommy James and the Shondells and released in March of 1968, peaking at number three on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. During the 80s, a version was initially released in August of 1981 and did not chart. However, it was re-released as a live version in October of 1987 and peaked at number one for one week on the same chart. The artist is Billy Idol and the song is Moni Moni. It's appropriate that Billy Idol's cover of Moni Moni follows Tiffany's cover of I Think We're Alone Now on the playlist because after Tiffany reached the number one spot on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, Billy Idol was right behind and took the top spot from her two weeks later. To my knowledge, that had never happened on the chart before with two different artists covering hit songs from a, a different artist from two decades prior, and both of those cover versions topping the charts back to back. I remember seeing the movie Dirty Dancing with friends at the Southland Theater just before our freshman year in high school started in 1987. My friends Jessica and Michelle and a couple of others uh, all thought during the movie and after that Patrick Swayze was so handsome and so sexy. And though I enjoyed the film, I agreed that as far as lead male actors in movies about dancing went, that he was much more attractive than Kevin Bacon was from Footloose. But in my opinion, neither of those guys were Billy Idol. At its heart, Moni Moni is a rocking party song with simple verses designed to build the listener toward the infectious chorus so that we're screaming out, Moni Moni, in a back and forth with Billy Idol as he sings, so good, so fine. Around the same time that his version of the song became popular, uh, an explicit call and response chant during the verses surfaced and has since become associated with the song. Uh, how or why it started or where it came from, I didn't know. But I remember the first time I heard it sang this way, it was during an assembly in the high school gym. 
um, there were songs that were being played through speakers set up in the gym to motivate um, the crowd's enthusiasm while the football team made their way in with uh, the coaches to celebrate the football program and the upcoming season. After our school song played, which no one really knew the words to, and we just kind of like talked during it, um, the song Celebration by Cool and the Gang played um, while the team entered, waving and punching their fists into the air. This was followed by a survivor's Eye of the Tiger. Um, as the last of the players trickled in, uh, standing behind and around their coaches in the center of the gymnasium floor, Moni Moni by Billy Idol came on. And I just remember the gym erupting with excitement. Everybody in the bleachers, including my friends and I, were up on our feet, stomping and clapping along with the song as uh, Billy Idol began singing the verses. Here she comes now saying, Mone, Mone. But in between the next verse, during the music beats, my friends around me screamed out, Hey, MF, get laid, get effed. At first, I wasn't sure I'd heard what I thought I heard them say, but it was confirmed seconds later when Billy Idol sang the next verse, Well, shoot them down, turn around, come on, Mone which again was followed by the same explicit verses screamed out by my friends and many, many others in the crowd. Uh, I must have had a bewildered expression across my face because I remember my friends, Sean and his girlfriend, Sarah, next to me screaming and jumping up and down with enthusiasm and Sarah leaning into my ear and saying, how do you not know this? Your father has a record shop. True, but the version I knew prior to the assembly didn't involve the call and response crowd participation moment. By the time the second verses started, the football team, though, weren't the only ones that were waving and punching their fists into the air as the gym was filled with teenagers, including myself, demonstrating our school spirit by shouting out the explicit chant in between Billy Idol's verses. The song just, it really explodes at the bridge with the background singers harmonizing uh, with him as they sing the lyrics. I love you, Moni, mo, mo, moan. And he's in the background. Yes, I do. I love you, Moni, mo, mo, moan. Said I do. Uh, it just, it all leads up to the back and forth between the background singers and Billy Idol with the yeah, 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 yeah. Before it just erupts with um, him, you know, shouting out, come on, come on come on with that just demanding vocal. It was, and still is just a, a outrageously fantastic rocking song. While I don't think that he was my first um, real person I'd never meet kind of crush. He was the first person that um, really made me take notice of the physical features of another guy and how it affected me. Um, there was something I found incredibly attractive and appealing about Billy Idol when I was a teenager. Uh, maybe it was the way that he sneered through the TV at me in his music videos. It was like he was staring directly at me and could read my thoughts, and he was perfectly fine with them. Uh, or perhaps it was his spiky blonde hair, the curled lip, and the way he wore spiked jewelry, leather pants, and boots with not much else in his videos. Plus, he always appeared shirtless and unwrapping some gauzy type of material from his upper torso that it made no sense, but at the same time, it made complete sense because it was the 1980s. As Money Money by Billy Idol ends with its electric guitars and ferocious rock rhythm, I'll press pause on the cassette player and prepare the next song. Track 5 was originally recorded by legendary singer Neil Diamond and released in April of 1968, peaking at number 62 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 Singles Chart. During the 80s, a version was initially released in August of 1983 and reached number 34. However, it was re-released in August of 1988 and peaked at number 1 for one week on the same chart. The artists are UB40 and the song is Red Red Wine. The opening lyrics to the song Red Red Wine, written and originally performed by Neil Diamond, 
begin with the chorus of red, red wine goes to my head, makes me forget that I still need her so. Red, red wine, it's up to you. All I can do, I've done. Memories won't go. His cadence while singing the lyrics and his enunciation of uh, especially the word wine are heartbreakingly woeful and yet melodic. Um, And they succeed at conveying the perspective of a deeply depressed man who's drowning his hurt to forget his pain. I can hear it in um, his voice in the lyrics that capture this sentiment, like red, red wine, stay close to me. Don't let me be alone. It's tearing apart my blue, blue heart. The production on Neil Diamond's original is pretty minimal with guitar and percussions used to mimic the sadness and sort of um, isolation of the man's outlook in the song. Um, Whereas UB40, on the other hand, sing the same lyrics, um, but set to a reggae-influenced musical beat that's infused with rhythmic percussion patterns, uh, prevalent bass line throughout the song, and guitars and horns to really flesh out the sound. Um, the lyrics themselves almost take a, a back seat or seem secondary to the musical production of the song because it's it's such a uh, spirited um a group of musicians that are playing those instruments that unless you really are listening to those lyrics, you don't know how um, depressing the song can be. Their version, it was originally released on a covers album in 1983 called Labor of Love. And the song itself had really modest chart success and airplay on the radio stations. Um, I think my exposure to it was seeing the video on MTV and um, at the time, just thinking that it sounded so different from what else was being played on um, the channel at the time. It was similar to uh, voices that I had heard like Jimmy Cliff or um, uh, Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant. Um, and the song, it seemed to have come and went so fast. Um, it was it was here and then gone. It was kind of one of those... I suppose this is a one hit wonder, but the song did see a new life on radio and on the billboard charts when it was re-released after uh, UB40 had performed it at Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday concert in 1988. As a result, uh, radio stations across America began playing the song and adding it in with uh, current songs that were getting airplay on the radio that were popular. And five years after its initial release, and 20 years after Neil Diamond's original release, it made it to the number one spot, complete with the uh, rap verses on the UB40 version um, of the Billboard chart. UB40 had uh, found their niche, and they did release another album the following year called Labor of Love 2, that included uh, more covers of popular and somewhat lesser known songs using their signature uh, reggae style and instrumentation and musical production. Um, Songs like Here I Am, Come and Take Me, and Can't Help Falling in Love um, were also hits that uh, were played on the radio and had uh, videos that were rotated throughout the music channels as well. But I don't know, no matter which version you prefer, Neil Diamond's or UB40's, I say let's raise a glass and toast to red, red wine. You make me feel so fine. You keep me rocking all of the time. Red, red wine. You make me feel so grand. I feel a million dollars when you're just in my hand. Cheers. As red, red wine by UB40 fades out, I'll press stop on the cassette player and eject the tape to inside A. We're halfway there. I flip the tape over and press the pause, play, and record buttons, and I'm ready to start side B. Track one was originally recorded by folk rock duo Simon and Garfunkel and released in October of 1966, peaking at number 13 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 Singles Chart. 
During the 80s, a version was released in November of 1987 and peaked at number two on the same chart. The artists are the Bangles, and the song is Hazy Shade of Winter. Part of me will always be convinced that the Bangles were a 60s band who had made a big comeback, Tina Turner style, during the 1980s. But this, of course, was not correct because the Bengals were, in fact, artists that saw critical and commercial successes when they first came onto the music scene right around the midpoint of the 1980s. I remember how incredible their first album sounded and how the songs, uh, vocal harmonies, and the instrumentations that they used all captured the era of 60s garage rock. Throughout the 80s, uh, but more so during the mid to latter half, A nostalgia for the dress, way of life, and music of the 1960s made its way back into popular culture. Artists that were popular during the 1960s, like the Moody Blues and the Beach Boys, that were relegated to classic rock and oldie stations, were suddenly appearing on the popular current radio stations alongside artists like Guns N' Roses, Whitney Houston, and Prince. Songs that were originally popular in the 60s were remade by contemporary artists who saw huge successes in their careers, as well as introduced the original artists to a new generation to discover. Songs like Venus, uh, which was originally recorded by Shocking Blue in 1969, was covered by new wave trio Bananarama in 1986, and it reached number one. And also La Bamba, was originally recorded by Richie Valens in 1964 and covered by American rock band Los Lobos in 1987, and it also reached number one. Even Starship, uh, originally Jefferson Airplane during the 60s and later becoming Jefferson Starship before dropping the Jefferson altogether, achieved three number one songs between 1985 and 1987 as Starship on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. They hit with We Built This City, Sarah, and my favorite, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, from an awful movie called Mannequin that I saw at Cinema 5. (laughs) Dusty Springfield was featured on the Pet Shop Boys' number two smash single, What Have I Done to Deserve This, which succeeded in reviving interest in her music as well. And it didn't just end with music or musicians. Movies like Dirty Dancing, Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, Good Morning Vietnam, and Hairspray all became popular at the movie theaters. They were showcasing stories and using visuals that were set in the 1960s, and this just resonated with audiences. Sure, there were the occasional misfires like Where the Boys Are, 84, and Back to the Beach with Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello attempting to recapture the fun of their beach party films made popular during the 60s. I may have also seen that movie at Cinema 5, but I'll deny it if anyone asks. I also remember Channel 44 on TV played Old Monkeys episodes, and whenever it would go to the commercial break, the announcer would ask, Hey, hey, are you a monkey? Do people say you monkey around? Well, stick around because there's more to come. When I first heard the Bengals version of Hazy Shade of Winter, I was completely blown away at how they successfully transformed Simon and Garfunkel's original melodic folk tune into just the incredible rocking track that they that they did. The song starts with these faint sleigh bells as the group chants the refrain, time, 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 see what's become of me before the beat drops and the electric guitars and the percussion kick in and these drive the song and give it this rapid, uh, intense urgency. And their vocal harmonies are, are so crisp and so concise, especially in the parts where all four are singing together um, and they sing the lyrics, look around, grass is high, fields are ripe. It's the springtime of my life. Um, that's one of the, it's, it's a short song. It's not a very long song, but it's packed with so much energy in it. But after they sing these lyrics, it's followed by the music dropping back. And then the harmony of the four again, picks up with seasons change with the scenery, weaving time in a tapestry. Won't you stop and remember me? 
um, which allows the listener to catch our breath before the guitar shreds again and takes us back into the repetitive chords and the percussion pounding away and uh, the uh, group with their haunting vocals sing um, the refrain repetitively of look around, leaves are brown and the sky is a hazy shade of winter. Look around, leaves are brown, there's a patch of snow on the ground. They repeat it several times before it almost abruptly ends. And it just reminds me of wintertime and how winter just sends icy chills across your face or blows really cold gusts of wind into your face. And then before you know it or have time to sort of write yourself, it's gone. As Hazy Shade of Winter by the Bangles ends and we get warmed up, I'll press pause on the cassette player and prepare the next song. Track two was originally recorded by R&B pop singer Little Eva and released in June of 1962, peaking at number one for one week on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. During the 80s, a version was released in July of 1988 and peaked at number three on the same chart. The artist is Kylie Minogue and the song is The Locomotion. The first time I had seen or heard Kylie Minogue was on the music program Night Tracks, which showed music videos for several hours late on Friday and Saturday nights. Night Tracks usually showed videos that were from lesser known artists or alternative artists or videos that were not being shown over on MTV uh, as much as the, the more popular ones or the more mainstream ones that were by artists that were radio friendly. And I remember seeing the video for her song, I Should Be So Lucky, with its neon visuals and her charmingly animated performance. And I just fell in love instantly. Now, at this time, she had already seen success with her music in her home country of Australia and in the United Kingdom. And though I'd heard I Should Be So Lucky on the local radio station KMEL a few times, it made a moderate impact on the Billboard charts. And then it just faded away. Suddenly she was gone. Um, this was despite me telling all of my friends and family and anyone that would listen how much I loved the song. And then a few months later, during the summer of 1988, a remake of the song The Locomotion by Kylie Minogue started to gain momentum. And it began being played on all of the local radio stations. So you could hear it on KFRC, you could hear it on KMEL, KITS. It was suddenly everywhere. And the video was added into rotation on MTV. And then, of course, my friends suddenly knew her name and were aware of the song itself. And they were getting into her. Even my friend Greg, who went from listening to pop music the summer before to just listening to metal and rap music, he admitted to me that, yeah, it's a good song. <laughs> I remember playing her debut album, Kylie, regularly on my stereo turntable and absolutely falling in love with the combination of the sound of the songs um, with her vocals and the musical arrangements um, because they were just carefully constructed and they just brought out the best of both the uh, instrumentation sounds with the keyboards and the guitars and the percussion and her voice that just really it lifted the song up, especially a song like Turn It Into Love, where this was just like nothing I had heard before. It was one of those songs where I was, I was surprised that it didn't get released as a, as a single, but it, was, it just wasn't meant to be. Now, she had a producing team of Stock, Aiken, and Waterman who were huge in the United Kingdom, and they were responsible for uh, a lot of acts in the United Kingdom, as well as uh, music for some that were popular here in the United States. Um, they were behind the songs, You Spin Me Round by New Wave Group, Dead or Alive, and I Heard a Rumor by Banana Rama. I remember thinking at the time that uh, Kylie Minogue would make a name for herself as an artist in the United States, but at the time she was one of so many female pop singers like Samantha Fox and Belinda Carlisle and Taylor Dane, Debbie Gibson and Martika that were trying to establish themselves and their sound in a Madonna world. 
and audience just weren't supportive. It's too bad that she didn't see more success in the United States during the 80s because her appeal was just absolutely adorable. Uh, she could sing. She was attractive to guys without being threatening to girls. I just, I remember getting her second album uh, in 1989 called Enjoy Yourself and being absolutely amazed at how much her sound and the production behind her songs had grown, especially Side A Alone. I played that multiple times before finally flipping the album over and playing Side B. But again, music tastes had changed. And by the end of the 80s, uh, they saw Kylie Minogue return to the United Kingdom. But she did consistently work. And she wrote, released, and recorded songs and albums during the 1990s that were extremely difficult to get in the United States. Um, if you can imagine a time you had to go to the import section um, and hope to find artists that were popular in other countries that were not getting the airplay or the um, support from the record label or the record company with releasing their music in the United States. I will never forget though, in the early 2000s, I was riding in my car with my six-year-old nephew, Alex. And as he put it, his favorite song from a new singer named Kylie something came on the radio called Can't Get You Out of My Head. I almost drove off the side of the road. I couldn't believe it. I just, I couldn't believe it. It was 1988 all over again. When the song was over, the DJ played it again because it was that popular and it sounded incredibly ahead of its time for the time. Um, I remember later telling my father the story of how Alex thought Kylie Minogue was a new artist despite how huge the locomotion was more than a decade earlier. Um, I said, she never stopped making music. It just stopped becoming accessible or available in the U.S. And I was on some kind of soapbox, like preaching, you know, justice for Kylie Minogue. <laughs> My father, of course, just laughed and said, you know, I remember a time not that long ago when a young boy that I once knew thought Tina Turner was an up-and-coming artist. Hint, that boy was me. As the locomotion by Kylie Minogue fades out, I'll press pause on the cassette player and prepare the next song. Track 3 was originally recorded by R&B singer James Ray and released in December of 1962 and did not chart on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 Singles Chart. During the 80s, a version was released in October of 1987 and peaked at number 1 for one week on the same chart. The artist is George Harrison, and the song is Got My Mind Set On You. Thanks to my father, I grew up with an appreciation and an awareness of the Beatles' music. After they had disbanded, I knew most of John Lennon and Paul McCartney's songs, but wasn't as familiar with George Harrison or Ringo Starr's solo work. I had no idea what I was in for upon hearing Got My Mind Set On You or just how instantly infectious it would become. It's just a simple guitar and drum beat with George Harrison's vocals singing the verses. This song always gets my toes tapping and my body swaying from side to side. There's always just a big smile across my face because it's just, it's such a fun song. I love the background voices during the refrain of uh, set on you. When that song, especially when George Harrison comes in and he sings set on you, uh, which separates itself out so that it's heard above the harmony. I remember there were, two music videos that aired right around the same time for the song, uh, which wasn't always the case. Usually the video that was put out for a song was the video that was consistently played. There were some occasions where there were videos that were played in uh, other countries that then made their way over to MTV in the United States, or for whatever the reason, the video had to be edited or changed altogether. But these were two separate videos that seemed to run simultaneously. One had George Harrison sitting in a red chair with his guitar in his lap in what looked like um, if Disney's Haunted Mansion ride were decorated as a Colorado ski lodge, uh, complete with giant fireplace and objects moving around on their own. Um, I won't even bring up the part where George Harrison's double, I mean George Harrison, 
does a interpretive dance during the saxophone solo in the song. The other video was not as unusual uh, or out there. It just involved a young couple making eyes at each other as they make their way around an arcade. Uh, George Harrison and his band are performing the song inside of uh, one of those Nickelodeon machines uh, that the girl looks through, which is a perfectly fine music video, and it tied into the song. So naturally, the one where the fake animated deer head mounted on a wall singing along to the song um, was the one that got the consistent airplay. <laughs> the other memory that this song always makes me think of is a friend that I made in my English class in high school. His name was Jonathan. Don't call me John. It was always Jonathan, who was into Weird Al Yankovic. And I remember somehow we struck up a conversation when we were paired together on a, a English project. And he didn't believe that I knew uh, a, who Weird Al Yankovic was, and also that I didn't know any of his songs or anything. So uh, there I was singing lyrics to I Want a New Duck, like a surgeon. And of course, this song is just six words long. This song is just six words long. <laughs> to further demonstrate that I didn't just jump on the Weird Al Yankovic bandwagon. Um, I also mentioned the times that I had seen Al on MTV in the early 80s when he would take over from time to time uh, the channel and he would change it to Al TV and the logo at the bottom of the corner on the TV instead of reading MTV would read Al TV. And he would show um, offbeat or unusual music videos or um, strange comedic segments or it was very um, like public access, but it was during those early days of MTV where they felt like they were making it up as they went along, but they were also finding a real foundation for who their channel was and, and the direction they were heading in. I don't remember ever finishing that English assignment. <laughs> I think it was on Antigone. Um, but we did make plans to see the movie UHF uh, together playing where else? Of course, it was at Cinema 5. As Got My Mind Set on You by George Harrison with the sax solo fades out, I'll press pause on the cassette player and prepare the next song. Track four was originally recorded by pop rock group The Strange Loves and released in May of 1965, peaking at number 11 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. During the 80s, a version was released in September of 1983 and peaked at number 62 on the same chart. The artists are Bow Wow Wow, and the song is I Want Candy. Whenever you look up lists of one-hit wonder artists of the 1980s, you'll typically see some of the same names compiled together. Artists like Men Without Hats, A Flock of Seagulls, Aha, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Dexie's Midnight Runners, and Bow Wow Wow. It's unfortunate that many acts from the 80s get incorrectly labeled as one-hit wonders, especially when many of them had other songs that charted on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. Bands like AHA, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and especially A Flock of Seagulls shouldn't be considered one-hit wonders simply because people may only know the songs Take On Me, Relax, or I Ran. While it's largely agreed upon that these were the artist's biggest singles, I definitely recommend getting to know the songs that came after and just how creative and catchy those were too. Now, when artists like Bow Wow Wow, they fit the title of One Hit Wonder as I Want Candy was their only song to place on the chart. It peaked at number 62. The song though is instantly catchy with its hook of I want candy, boom, 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 I want candy. And it's somewhat California sound music production with the guitar strumming throughout, the keyboard and the percussion all coming together to surround the vocals of lead singer Annabella Lewin. Her vocals are what really sell the song. They're playful and engaging. And she sings the verses like she's telling you uh, precious secrets. It's just for you, the listener. She whispers, I know a guy who's tough but sweet. He's so fine he can't be beat. He's got everything I desire, sets the summer sun on fire. Bow Wow Wow attempted, of course, to 
make their mark during the second British invasion of the 1980s. But unfortunately, they got lost in the numerous musical acts that were doing something different and doing it in a way that appealed to American audiences. They didn't see another single enter the U.S. Billboard charts, which, again, makes them an actual one-hit wonder. You're left wondering how... I thought I Want Candy was a bigger song. Surely it entered into the top 20 or the top 10. Why do I think that this song was a lot bigger than it really was? What is it about the group that they couldn't have another single come out or they didn't see any kind of success or further development? When you ask what makes an artist a one-hit wonder, what is it exactly that we're clarifying? Is it that they have a top 40 hit? Is it that the song went into the top 10? Did it make number one? What What is it that makes the song a hit? Isn't it enough that out of the top 100 songs in the United States, this artist has one that's somewhere on the chart, regardless of if it's at number 10, number 45, or number 98? Of course, the question is subjective, and people have passionate opinions on artists that get classified as a one-hit wonder, which I can see. After all, I recall standing on my Kylie Minogue soapbox when people said she was a one-hit wonder because of the locomotion. But after 2001, when Can't Get You Out of My Head peaked at number seven on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, she could no longer be clarified as a one-hit wonder. Some people might tell you that the charts don't matter anymore, but I believe they do because there are so many artists out there that are making music and it should have an outlet and an opportunity to have their work heard. While the charts no longer measure airplay and sales the way that they once did in the 80s, they at least have room available for an expansive variety of creative expression. This includes varying voices, different types of instrument and musicianship, and songs that should be accessible to everyone. As I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow fades out, I'll press pause on the cassette player and prepare the final song. Our final track was originally recorded by soulful pop duo The Righteous Brothers and released in November of 1964, peaking at number one for two weeks on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. During the 80s, a version was released in September of 1980 and peaked at number 12 on the same chart. The artists are Daryl Hall and John Oates, and the song is You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Believe it or not, the version of You've Lost That Love and Feeling by Daryl Hall and John Oates is the first version that I heard and really the only one. I I thought it was their original song for the longest time. Uh, It appeared on their album called Voices, along with other songs like You Make My Dreams Come True and Kiss on My List. Uh, There's also a magnificent original version of their song Every Time You Go Away which uh, in the middle of the 80s, singer Paul Young recorded, and he had a huge hit with that song. Um, So it's interesting to go back and listen to the original and how Hall & Oates uh, interpreted it um, versus when it was covered. So in listening to the album, though, as a collective, um, I thought that You've Lost That Love and Feeling was, in fact their original song because it just blends into the cohesiveness of that album. What's interesting though about the Daryl Hall and John Oates version is that they are not trying to copy or emulate uh, the style of the Righteous Brothers. They're not just trying to um, mimic what was done originally in the recording and put their names on it and call it their own. Um, What they've done is they've recognized that the orchestration of the song and the musical interludes and chords do not require um, much altering. Um, If nothing else, the song is sold on the vocals and it absolutely soars because John Oates and Daryl Hall together just are able to bring the song... um, from its building moments in the beginning to the pre-chorus to really letting it just shine through on the actual chorus. Um, It's fantastic to hear and see John Oates' voice get the chance to shine as he sings the lead vocals and he opens the song with the lyrics, you never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips and there's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. 
again, the lyrics and the songs suit him. And it's great that he's heard um, because as, as when you think about the catalog that Daryl Hall and John Oates have, uh, typically it's Daryl Hall's voice that leads the songs or sings the hooks. And John Oates uh, contributes to mostly the background. You you don't often hear him sing specifically. And on a song like You've Lost That Love and Feeling, this just, uh, it allows him to really shine and let his voice be heard. Of course, the uh, pairing of the song works beautifully because Daryl Hall then brings his sound and the soul of his voice to that pre-chorus. Um, as he sings the lyrics, you're trying hard not to show it. But baby, baby, I know it. And then the music, of course, it sweeps and crescendos around them, uh, doing the chorus of you've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's just effortless how together they convey the sadness within the song using just the, ri- the richness of their voices. Um, and it just demonstrates the maturity that's required to convincingly sing a song like this. Um, again, I believe that this is a well-crafted cover. It doesn't need a lot of vocal runs or any kind of ad-libs or anything other than actual soulful, true, rich voices. And both Daryl Hall and Joan Oates have those, and it's demonstrated in this song. Their vocals with minimal changes made to the original production of the song that was made popular two decades prior, just demonstrates how impeccably uh, the songwriting can span generations and keep certain songs enduring and open for interpretation by newer artists and newer generations. And we did it. We've completed our sixth podcast playlist mixtape. I'll go ahead and press stop and eject our tape. I'm going to label it and put it into our cassette tape player, and we're all set. I challenge you to take a peek at what's under the covers from your favorite artists. You might be surprised to find out what song of theirs was originally recorded by someone else. And that can introduce you to different artists, music, and sounds that you might not have otherwise discovered. Now that you can do it, let's make a chain now. Chug a chug a motion like a railway train now. Do it nice and easy. Now don't lose control. A little bit of rhythm and a lot of soul. I hope that you've enjoyed this experience as much as I have bringing it to you and that you'll continue to listen and support. So until we meet again, this has been Jimmy's Extraordinary 80s Playlist. Enjoy!